Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers, with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kirk Damon. Today's episode is brought to you by Sal Drainado and the Brooklyn Plumbers Academy, training the next generation of plumbers since 1985. And welcome back to episode eight of A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy. I am your host, Ben Siders. And this is Kirk Damon. Once again, Kirk Lake is the captain of the Enterprise. And today's topic is video games and video game clones. And shout out to Mary in St. Louis for the topic idea. Now, if you're listening to this, I'm going to guess you have probably at some point in your life played a video game, but you may not know what all goes into them. They actually encompass a lot of different kinds of intellectual property. And I'm sure you've noticed that there are clones, not Star Wars clones, but video game <laughs> clones. Yep. Um, and that's the thing is that if we have a film of our leaders very well, yeah, some of our listeners very well may also uh, be people who are actually programming video games. And um, maybe made clones themselves. Um, there are, you know, a lot of video games out there. There's a lot of very fun video games out there. And there's, um, and especially I think with the, the influx of mobile gaming yeah. and the ability to get stuff out to the public very quickly using, you know, iTunes Store, um, other, you know, sort of platforms along those lines, we are seeing just a huge influx of games people are designing. Um, you know, personally, privately, um, you know, many of which are, you may have very fun gameplay, very poor graphics or vice versa. Um, but we're seeing just huge numbers of video games that are coming out there. We also think we've seen a change in the video game attitude. I think video gaming has become something which went from a very niche, um, really sort of kid's toy to now becoming a universal entertainment form. Yeah, the, the demographics have changed a lot. We're at the point where I think, if not more, than, than about half of all gamers are now female. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience, when I was a kid, that was not the case. Yeah, and it, it, I think you also have the issue that a lot more games have become more adult. I mean, and you know, a lot of gamers have become more adult. You've also seen a change in games themselves, where if you look back, I think, at a lot of games, the original sort of video arcades, you know, video arcades were teenager hangouts. You know, yep. that was the thing in conjunction with And my mom with wouldn't let me go into them. Yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, parents not letting, you know, younger kids go into video game arcades. But we go back and we look at a lot of those games, and those games are, quite frankly, very tame compared mm-hmm. to what, you know, exists nowadays that you can, you know, obtain via, um, you know, a download platform or via a platform, you know, via kind of any kind of console. So video game clones, and if you've ever developed a game, you've probably made a clone. This is how we usually start learning how to write games, is you, you make something that plays the same way as a game you like. But a video game clone is basically a new game that has the same basic gameplay and concept as another game, but some differences, maybe some minor variations in gameplay, and usually uh, fresh art, fresh sound, new look, new new feel. Uh, And a good example of that is the original Warcraft game. It launched and effectively started, I'm going to say, it's probably not strictly true, but started the real-time strategy genre, or at least popularized it. It was one of the first ones, and it may very well be the first, sort of, that was the true real-time, where it's that, you know, there were definitely strategy games out there. They're usually turn-based, though. Yeah, they were very turn-based. Panzer General and those kind of games. Yep. Uh, And then after that came Command & Conquer, which was also very successful, and then hundreds of other games that played the same basic way, but none of them were nearly as good. And I think that's one of the things we really talk about, is it's a lot of times we're talking about clones, what we really are talking about, in many respects, is similar genres. So, I mean, you know, yeah. real-time strategy, RTS, is an acknowledged genre. You know, first-person shooters, an acknowledged genre. Um, but there's always some first game 
that yeah. came out with whatever that you know ex- ex- uh, genre becomes. Well, the, the cloning phenomenon got so bad, especially in the, the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, especially with Blizzard's Diablo, that a new <laughs> internet phrase was coined, uh, Yadic, Y-A-D-C, yet another Diablo clone. Yep. And I remember seeing reviews where they would describe a game as yet another Diablo clone. It was just a matter of how good of a clone was it. Yeah, and that's the other thing I think you bump into is it literally was. How good of the clone was it? Did it have good gameplay? I think one of the things you really bump into in conjunction with cloning as well is to keep in mind these are not the same games necessarily. It's they have similar gameplay usually. The mechanics are similar, but oftentimes they may have some other elements. They may change mm-hmm. something. And the interesting thing about that you bump into with it is that those changes may actually make a better game. One of the yeah. ones I, I pick on and actually one of my favorite games, uh, mobile games that I used to play for a long time was a game called Crush the Castle, which nobody's ever heard of. Crush the Castle was firing a trebuchet that fired various different kinds of ammunition I remember to try that to one. knock down a castle and, and kill various knights that are in it. A few years later, a game called Angry Birds came out that uses a very similar style of gameplay. Um, but it's one of those where I always loved Crush the Castle because trying to fire the trebuchet involved a lot of you know real game mechanics. But it was you know it's much simpler than a slingshot is. But that's a good example of sort of where you can see a, an earlier potential one not being the one everybody knows, the one everybody knows being a later version. So cloning obviously happens, and it's apparently legal because people keep doing it and not getting in trouble for it. The question we're going to discuss is why uh, there's. No, is there no IP that can cover this? And if not, why not? And should there be? So let's start by talking about uh, types of IP in video games. Probably the simplest and I'd argue the most important would be source code, compiled executables, libraries, all the programming and software aspects of it. Yep, and that pretty much we're all talking copyright. You yeah, know, all copyright. Things. But um, the part you see the most as a player is the asset files, the, the way that the objects in the game look, the art files, uh, the sound files, animation, 3D models, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, there's no question this stuff is sort of all covered by copyright as to whatever it is. Where you talk about sort of gameplay, and I think a lot of the gameplay is not so much the art files or anything along those lines. Most clones are not going to use the art files. They're not going to use similar looks. Many of them change the looks dramatically. Um, You know, so a lot of that they're clearly getting away from copyright. But the copyright potentially being used is the engine, Mm -hmm. um, which is really the source code. I'm getting into it. But, but if you write your own engine or you or you just uh, re- you, you license it, say, so you're allowed to use it, yep. um, the gameplay itself is not really something that we can copyright, is it? Yeah, well, and again, I think that's what you get into. Now, there is the idea that you, you can license, that people are licensing the engines. You know, there is the possibility there of there being some copyright protection to the engine outside of the specific core source code, but you almost have the, the free market kind of dealing with the legal question here of wh- you know whether or not there is protection to the, the gameplay by simply saying there's an unquestionably the protection to the source code. What we'll do is license you the source code, which saves you a vast amount of work as yeah. a game designer. Um, and so therefore, it, it's worthwhile to everybody, as we sort of talked about you know, in the last episode and the idea of contracts. There's clearly consideration here yes. on both sides because you've saved the game designer an enormous amount of work. The person who originally developed the game engine has made, you know, a, a license fee in conjunction with this, so we have an enforceable contract at that point in time. And at that point in time, copyright becomes superfluous yeah, because and, it's licensed. And then we're, we're kind of back to the idea-expression dichotomy where the particular engine is one expression of that set of game rules or gameplay, but nothing about the copyright in that one expression would prevent you, if you didn't want to pay the licensing fee, from just writing your own. Yeah, and that's, I think, where you get into the interesting question of... A lot of it at this point in time is that question never gets asked. 
because you know the people are not necessarily developing their own game engines to the extent they are developing their own game engines to do something similar the code is so different yeah. i mean they are very much developing their own thing a lot of times it may maybe be in a different, different language platform. entirely yep. or yeah and a lot of times it's a different platform um, and a lot of times it's if you're going to do that it's because you want to make major changes to the way the engine works <laughs> What about, say, uh, literary elements to games? Modern games usually have some sort of story. There's dialogue, scripts, um, text, tutorial text, maybe. Those are probably all copyrightable. Oh, again, all copyrightable. I mean, and, and this is one of those things where, again, we sort of talk about the evolution of video games. You know, modern video games are almost more akin to movies. They really know, in are. many respects. They, there's video, the video games, game I mean, market's bigger than the movie market now. Yeah, and I comment about it. I said, you know, it's when you see like previews for, um, you know, like TV ads and stuff like that in conjunction with video games, a lot of times what they're showing you is cinema, cinema, uh, cinema graphics in the middle. Yeah. They're not showing you the actual gameplay elements. They even put, you know, the disclaimers on this is not gameplay elements just to let you know that that's the, the nature of it. And, I think in many respects, a lot of people that care very deeply about those. There's a lot of characters. Um, I comment about it as it's still one of the most memorable things I think I ever had in a video game play experience is playing StarCraft II, and when you suddenly have Kerrigan become a Zerg. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, you're sitting here like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? That's a cinematic. Yeah, or uh, uh, I'm thinking uh, uh, Wing Commander. Wing Commander 3, the one that had Mark Hamill in it. Okay. Uh, there's a spoiler alert. If you haven't played it, go play it. Um, if you can find a machine. It's a game. Yeah, if you can find a machine, that will play it. Uh, but there, there's near the end, uh, the oh, the Kilrathi, is that what they were called? Uh, Hobbs was the Kilrathi pilot right, yeah. that played for the, the good guys. And uh, he betrays everybody and kills one of the pilots and goes back to the Kilrathi. And yeah. I remember playing that. I was so mad. I wanted to go back and replay the whole thing and never pick Hobbs as my wingman. I was so irritated that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, but interestingly enough, you sort of talk about that kind of a plot and the similarities of the plot. That sounds a little bit like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're sort of talking about that. And again, that's where we sort of talked about previously. We've mentioned stuff in copyright, this idea, you know, expression dichotomy. You know, the idea of somebody being, you know, a traitor and betraying their, their forces, th- that's not exactly new. I mean, let's go back to Benedict Arnold. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's it, that's not a unique, you know, game mechanic in any respects as to what it is. So what's, you can't necessarily protect it. What's defined game mechanic? So what we're really talking about with game mechanics is gameplay, the set of rules that define how the various game elements interact and how the user interacts with them, and basically how you win, how you play, how you accomplish things. The thing, I mean, it's what I think makes games fun. I don't care how good the graphics are. If the mechanics aren't fun, I don't care. Yeah, and I think most people do care a lot about game mechanics. It's the it's the fundamental thing people like. You've got to have good graphics. You've got to have a game that's entertaining enough. But again, I think particularly with sort of the switch we've seen now in modern gaming, we've we've gone back to platforms that aren't quite as powerful. Um, you know, when we're talking about you know playing on tablets and stuff like that, although they're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you really see is that how well does this game play? Do I enjoy it? And I think a lot of times when players get upset with games, they tend to get upset because mechanics have changed. Yeah, and they perceive that it's unfair or it's it's unfair in somebody else's favor, usually. It's, yeah, it's unfair in somebody else's <laughs> favor, or in, in some sense, and quite frankly, and this is one I know we've talked about in conjunction with certain games, it just gets too complicated. Yeah, to, to the point where you spend more time micromanaging all the data and all the, the aspects of the game and not actually just playing it and having fun. Yeah, now there are obviously games that people play because of that, you know, that yeah. they enjoy doing it. You know, Civilization, there's... I love Civilization <laughs> for that exact reason. Yeah, and it's, you know, the sort of micromanaging the components of it, but it's the 
do you enjoy a video game that you kind of have to have a notebook of stuff on the side? Um, you know, I joke about it because, you know, we've done a lot with Minecraft and uh, mm-hmm. both of us in conjunction with, you know, and I have a large notebook of where things are, which, you oh, know, yeah. sort of look at it and it's like, wait a minute, why do I have this huge paper backup for a video game? Why isn't this something I'm just playing the video game? That's why I quit playing World of Warcraft before law school. At some point, I spent like four hours trying to get a raid put together and I'm like, this just became a second job I don't get paid to do. Yeah, and actually the, the raid concept is actually a really good one to, I think, talk about, which is there's a lot of things coming into games right now when you're talking about game mechanics, which effectively require gameplay outside of the video game, the raid being Mm -hmm. the perfect example. You know, it's something where if you want to go and you want to carry these things out, you need 50 players. And you have to coordinate them somehow. Yeah, you have to coordinate them, you have to get them together. You really can't do it in-game. It's not, you know, in a lot of of games, it's physically impossible. You just need everybody to show up at the same location at the same time. That alone's a logistical cat-herding exercise. Well, so game mechanics, uh, as we alluded to, are usually not, I would say usually, almost never copyrightable uh, because they're basically sets of rules, and the Copyright Act specifically says somewhere that you can't copyright instructions and rules and yep. things like that. Why, why is that? I, I think because a lot of the reason that they, they say you can't do it is because it it basically doesn't show a lot of expression. It's yeah. a specific thing. If here, Here's just a way to carry something out. And I think a good way to look at it is a recipe. Yeah, also you know, not look, copyrightable. Also not copyrightable. When you look at what a recipe is, it just says, here's how to make a cake. There's no expression in here to make a cake. It's all scientific, and, and particularly when you're talking baking, it is yeah. very scientific. I think there's a public policy argument, too, that basic basic elements of, of human society, like teaching people how to do things. I mean, with fair use, education is always one of the strongest arguments for a fair use. We're teaching people, we're making people into competent uh, adults who can get by in the world. And I think as a matter of public policy, we just don't want anybody to kind of lock up those basic tools of, of educating a society. Yeah, I think that's... That's very true as to, you know, what you might get into it. And again, you sort of get the idea as it's it lacks expression. It's got basic yeah. tools. You can kind of quickly see that these are things we really shouldn't be saying other people can't use. I mean, if we're going to give you the instructions for building, you know, a, um, but like you copywriting know, a yardstick, like what yeah. sort of copyright? Yeah, you know, and that's, you know, yeah, you could potentially copyright the specific expression of a yardstick, but can you really copyright the concept of a yard? No. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, the meter, which is, of course, in a French museum, the, the official stick, which is exactly one meter. Well, this creates real problems for uh, video game design, not just video game, any game designer. So I've actually got on the shelf in my law office, I have the Dungeons & Dragons 3rd uh, edition books, and if you ever looked this at... This is just how much of a geek he is. Instead of his law books, he has Dungeons & Dragons reference guides. Yeah, my law books are in a box somewhere. Um, but if you look at, if you look through an RPG instruction manual, you'll notice that it is full of charts, tables, numbers, graphs. 2nd uh, edition was famous for the Thacko table. <laughs> um, you know, None of that stuff is, is usually copyrightable because there's nothing really expressive about it. It's just a bunch of numbers. Yep. But that's why I think that you know, Wizards of the Coast, or before that, TSR, puts in all the fluff material. They put in, uh, you know, background stories, or they kind of tell the story of making yep. a new character. You got to have something copyrightable in those books because just the raw data and rules by themselves yep. probably isn't. A lot of it, I think, you also get into quite frankly with the fluff and the need for fluff. And interestingly enough, I mean, we all do refer to it as fluff. I mean, that's the common <laughs> assertion as to tacit you know, what you acknowledgement get. of what it is. Yeah, the. Um, 
you know, you also bump into the idea of I can give you a great game, but if there's no story behind it, you know, why am I playing it? If you want a great game with no fluff, go play chess. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think another reason why this kind of stuff is, is not copyrightable is that we have a whole different set of IP that's meant to cover what's basically functional aspects of these things, and that would be patents. Yep. Um, and that is, we talked about, you know, again, sort of expression, idea, expression, dichotomy. When we start getting into idea, we can look at the idea and say there isn't enough expression here. We can look at the idea of say that the rules of a game is an idea. And the methodology for playing is a unique idea. I mean, at some point in time, somebody developed the rules for poker. Um, you know, using a card, de- uh, you know, a deck of cards, and uh, those kind of games. And it's, I'm going to focus for a second on it. Let's let's take card games or dice games. You know, really basic games that require um, you know gambling apparatus which have been around for centuries. I mean, the card deck has been around for huge periods of time. Um, you know, the, uh, the concept of dice have been around for a huge period of time. You know, random elements, random generation. Again, usually associated with true gambling. Mm-hmm. But you sort of look at it and say, how many different ways are there to use these things? They're very simple aspects. You know, you can have dice be everything from, you know, how you're rolling the distance you travel, you know, on a board game to Yahtzee, which is entirely based upon how you roll a dice, almost a pure random and then a sort of selection of dealing with mathematical probabilities coming mm-hmm. out of it. Well, and, and the problem with falling back on, on patents to protect any of this stuff is, well, up until a couple years ago, there wasn't any big problem other than you had to have something really interesting and different and novel in your game. But now we have this Supreme Court case from a couple years ago that has narrowed down what you can get patent protection for in software. And they've basically said, if all you're doing is taking an abstract idea from, from one place, like a board game or yep. a, you know, a video game, and implementing it in software, that by itself is usually not enough to even qualify for patent protection, yep. regardless of how interesting or novel it is. No, interesting. they don't say that you can't patent a game initially, coming up with a concept initially, an entirely new concept, but actually one of the key, I think, you know, Section 101 or Alice cases associated with this has to do with a computer playing bingo. Yeah, um, and they and, said no, no patent. Yeah, they said no patent uh, because, you know, essentially the rules for bingo are well known, all you're doing is implementing them on a computer. Yeah, and that, that's not enough to, to qualify for patent protection. Basically, if the computer is just doing the things that computers do and nothing more interesting than that, then they're not going to let you have a, a patent on it because it threatens to, you know, that nobody else can do bingo on a computer. And, it's, yep. and they, I think this boils down again to a public policy consideration. The court just didn't want that to happen. Yeah, you're always going to get into those kind of, you know, issues of the public policy and courts sort of uh, looking at it and sort of applying the law to reach a result they want to. I mean, that's something that when you become a lawyer, you start to realize happens without any question yep. that the law is the law is bent to meet a requirement that the court thinks is necessary. And I think there is some argument of saying we didn't want people to be able to just computerize playing any game yeah. because we want to be able to say that that's, that's not something which should be patentable. Now, that said, you and I have gotten a couple of game patents issued, yep. but they were they were unique. Uh, it wasn't yep. on the gameplay itself so much as other aspects of the technology pertaining yep. to the game. So a good example of that would be if you come up with you know, a, a cool innovation to you know, handle server load balancing for an yep. RPG or something. That's not game mechanics. It is a patent that would cover an aspect of your game, but it's more of an improvement to how the computer works as exactly. opposed to the game itself. And I think that's the important thing to keep in mind in here. When we're talking about game mechanics, game mechanics may not be truly patentable, but a lot of times the implementation of game mechanics requires something else, you know, server load balancing being a good example. How do you deal with, you know, the fact that you've got characters coming in and out very, mm-hmm. very quickly? Or VR you, helmet. VR helmet. How do you do matchmaking? You know, those are kind of the things you get into in conjunction with like random, you know, random games where you've got players that are that are playing each other at a, a sort of random matchmaking type of things. Those kind of things all pretty much are patentable. You also get into the hardware aspects of it. I always comment about it, as I said, you know, a good example is the old mousetrap game. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a game which is very, very structurally dependent um, on 
on the mousetrap. And when one can works. argue that the, the mousetrap itself is potentially patentable. Um, particularly, and I think this is the thing to think about with... Um, with video games right now, we're moving into the AR, VR world here in conjunction with video games. There's a lot of potential mechanical structures, a lot of potential hardware Mm -hmm. that needs to go into place to make those games work. And there's a lot of software that needs to make the interaction with the hardware work. So now you have the possibility of, is that kind of stuff patentable? And I think that's where you're starting to get into the question of probably, actually. And another problem we have with patents is is more of a practical problem. You know, we're moving away, well, I think we're generally moving away from the era of, of, of gigantic, you know, gigantic production games that uh, that people play for, for years and years on end, yeah. and more towards s- short sessions, quick play games. I mean, th- those two industries kind of both exist, but uh, the, the mobile games in particular, you know, your, your shelf life for a mobile game, setting aside Hearthstone, which is more of a card game implemented on a computer, but your typical mobile game, you know, doesn't have that long of a shelf life. By the time you even get a patent application filed, much less actually issued, your game's probably commercially irrelevant. Yeah, and that's, I think, the the other thing you see a lot of with patenting, and part of the reason I think you don't see a lot of IP protection in this is because a lot of these games do have relatively short yeah, short it's just not worth lives. It. Yeah. yeah, and patents are expensive. So patents don't help much. Copyright doesn't help much. Uh, so is it just a free-for-all out there? And I think the answer is not quite. Yeah, not quite. And the biggest things I think you get into is you've still got effects from patent, copyright, and all also trademark in mm-hmm. conjunction with these things. And a lot of it gets into, are you cloning or are you copying? And yeah. it sounds weird because, you know, what is a clone versus what is a copy? Um, I'm going to jump to, you know, episode two, uh, as much as I may not like necessarily like to refer to the prequels. No. But we look at the idea and say that the, the clones made of Django Fett are not copies of Django Fett. They, you know, they specifically go into, it's effectively his children. Now, they're his clones, but they are not truly copies of him. I mean, we t- they go through the process of it. They have to be raised. They have accelerated growth. They're all taught. The, they're, he's used as a basic, you know, sort of, you know, core of what's going to become these these clones, a template. But he's they're not copies of him. Again, a template's maybe a good word to look at it. They're really not copying him. They're using him as the basic. So you can kind of look at it and say what they're copying in conjunction with this or what they're cloning. Basic game mechanics. He has, you know, certain skill sets. He has certain abilities in order to learn, stuff like that. That's how he's chosen. But at the same time, they're not copying him. They're making clone troopers, which are designed for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. One of which is those have to follow orders. And as we well know, <laughs> Django Fett does not do a very good job of uh, following yeah, orders. Yeah, he was an odd choice just narratively for that particular role in the film. Well, yeah. Well, so looking at a couple of actual cases, I think one of the the earliest cases on this involve Pac-Man, and uh, we were talking on the way over here. See, KC Munchkin. Yep, KC Munchkin, which was basically, uh, you know, gameplay-wise, actually differed significantly from Pac-Man in some ways. But the main character was they called a gobbler, you know, yes. like Pac-Man, just a giant head with a mouth. And then the, the the pursuit characters were ghosts. And in that case, the district court originally said no infringement because there's nothing copyrightable in Pac-Man. But the Seventh Circuit disagreed and reversed it, saying, I mean. Basically saying the the concept of the chase maze game where you've got a central character being chased by pursuit characters, that's just the idea. There's a lot of ways to express that. But KC Munchkin chose to express it in basically the exact same way that Atari did. Yeah, that's what I if I remember the case specifically, they have ghosts in conjunction with it. Yeah, similar types uh, of animations. Yeah, that kind similar of thing. similar animation, things now, along those lines. I want to read one line from this that, that those of you who are video game.
game fans may take offense to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this was, and bear in mind, this is 1982. But the court says uh, video games, unlike an artist's painting, appeal to an audience that is fairly undiscriminating insofar as their concern about subtle differences in artistic expression. That might have been true in 1982. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's not so much true now. It's a great quote. Again, we talked a little bit about the idea of video games changing. I, I think one has to question, especially in today's day and age, how much uh, a clone with terrible art, you know, terrible storyline, would really be able to, with identical gameplay, would really be able to hold its yeah. own against a game like Halo. Yeah, if it's bad, it's got to be good bad. Like, it has to be bad on purpose, yeah. you know? Uh, like like uh, like bad B movies. <laughs> um, so that that case came out in favor of of Atari, and they enjoined uh, Casey Munchkin. And they actually cite to that case other examples of maze chase games that were different enough to not be a problem. Uh, another interesting one: Asteroid versus Meteor. Now Meteor's <laughs> just scientifically wrong. Set that aside. They said no infringement. The idea is ship flying through asteroids, and that the whole thing is sans affair, which we covered last year. Yeah. It's a rudimentary sci-fi concept. Now I can't help but think that the motivation for this ruling is that Empire Strikes Back had just come out at the time, and uh, so the concept of ship flying flying through asteroids was sort of you know ah, that's been done. Yes, and and it is. It's you sort of get into that idea of a sans affair. You know what what do you have with this? It's a basic concept. You're trying to avoid hitting something. Yeah. I mean, we have ships flying through asteroid games today. I mean, we'll, we'll plug a local uh, company here in conjunction with it, with their Roid Rage. Oh, yeah, Butterscotch, yeah, Butterscotch shenanigans. shenanigans, which if you have not played it, that game oh will drive gosh, you berserk. I just played it again yesterday. <laughs> Remember I'm just sitting around, I got like five minutes to burn, that's what I load up to play. Yeah, and that that game will literally drive you berserk. It's, yes. it's an incredibly fun... Those guys are so good game. at making games that are infuriatingly hard, but you can't put them down. Um... Okay, so uh, so what can you really do to set your game apart? I, I you know I, I'm sort of an amateur game designer, um, and uh, I always think about what makes the game fun for me, and what are the unique narrative elements that because the narrative elements are going to be copyrightable. So yep. whatever that is, you know, if, if those are the unique aspects, world building exercises basically. How do you weave this universe within the game that makes it fun and interesting to play? What's interesting is what we're sort of commenting about is you as a video game designer. What we're now saying actually becomes the the protectable aspects and the valuable aspects. Of your video game is you being an author. Yeah. Not so much the fact that you're a good game designer, that you're a good coder, but that you're a good writer. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting. You think about it, I think a lot of the large game companies obviously know this. I mean, they have, you know, they hire people solely to write backgrounds, solely to write storylines. Blizzard's like a that. great example of that. Their games all have that sort of irreverent, goofy fun factor. That's not what everybody wants. Sometimes you want like a serious, dark game. But if you just want to play casually something fun and lighthearted, I mean, they just did the new expansion, the Lich King one for yep. Hearthstone. Stone, which they took the concept of turning to evil and everybody dying and made it fun and goofy. Yeah, uh, and that, it's, it's hard very to silly. Do. It's also completely breaking the fourth wall and yeah. the fact that when you play a lot of these things, the Lich King is actually referring to the fact that this is a card game that he's in. Yeah, and they, you know, Blizzard doesn't always make the best design games as far as, you know, a, a a flawless mathematical implementation of a concept. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, there's lots of arguments that the Hearthstone is not particularly yeah, balanced. I yeah. mean, certain decks can become more powerful at certain times. But the times. games are, are well put together, and they're just plain fun. And I'd, I'd rather pay $50 for a pack of Hearthstone cards and have fun playing it than, than a, a boring, lifeless game that's 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 free, even if the mechanics are, are you know gorgeously implemented and flawless. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the sort of big things you, you get into with it is how much of it is, you know, the, the storyline and stuff like that. And, 
I just want to tie that back into, we talked about the, the, the question we got at the end of the last episode and sort of, you know, now that they like, a patent on tapping a car, mm-hmm. you know, the other, why do we not expect to see just huge numbers of clones come out? And I think the answer is, is there's already large numbers of card games out there, both video, video implemented. I mean, Magic can now be played, you know, digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... But Magic still owns the copyright, so yeah. all other cards, you can't just make a copy of a Magic pack. And, yeah, you know. exactly. But I think the thing you get into with it is that, you know, mechanically, you know, even to the extent the mechanics were patented, that's out there. But what you really see is how well are they implemented. You know, a lot of those utilize existing properties. I mean, you know, again, Overpower being a good example, which was set in the Marvel Universe, then the DC Universe, you know, utilized a storyline from elsewhere. Do even, you know, many of these games were originally based upon role-playing mm-hmm. games that had very well-established universes, you know, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons or whether it's something else that's out there. Well, you know, Hearthstone's kind of a magic clone, and then uh, Bethesda did uh, a Skyrim implementation okay. of the same basic concept, which I've played, and I, I love Skyrim. It's a fun game, um, but it's it's still just it's not as fun to me as Hearthstone, and I couldn't tell you why, other yeah. than Blizzard just has that knack for doing that. And, and that's a lot of the things with it is I think the the outcome of what we see is we're not going to see something rampant because we're already seeing we already see clones. As soon as you know a genre becomes a genre and people are interested in playing games Everybody of that wants genre, Farmville. How many Farmville clones were there? Yeah, you know, which really is a sort of off of Mafia Wars. We want to go back in Zynga, and it's Mafia Wars was based on a prior version of theirs too. I can't even remember which one that one was. Um, but yeah, a lot of those kind of games, you know, you, you, they become popular. People enjoy that general genre. It becomes a genre just because one person's going to lose their IP, have a patent expire, have whatever it is, even if they were the first implementer. I don't think that's going to dramatically change the number that comes into it. Yes, you may have people who now use that game mechanic specifically because they can, because it makes something easier to implement, whatever it might be. Think but, about Magic. Is, is Magic successful because you tap a card by turning it sideways? Yeah, I mean, it's no. successful because of the fact that it has a great storyline. It's got, you know, just fantastic artwork and compelling gameplay yeah and, very, and good gameplay and I was stuff never good lines. at it um, well I th- we're, we're once again running over we should just we should just change the timing on these and say we're going to go half an hour every time because we keep doing <laughs> we actually have no questions for this week so uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up thank you again to Mary and Krista for the questions that was a good one and we could talk uh, like most of these topics we could and we have talked endlessly about them well, uh, that's all for today. So if you have a question, uh, ask us on Twitter at LGGpod. Email us at LGGpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. We are on all the social medias, and uh, we'll be happy we to think. engage with you there. We think. If there, I'm sure there's more out there we don't know about. Uh, and if you like what you hear, please review us. Uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, reviews help with search engine optimization and people finding us and, and tuning in and letting us do what we do. Uh, I think next time we're going to talk about modding and customization. I think the original impetus for this was uh, the Mad Max Mad movies. Max. But uh, Kirk's also a, a 40K guy, and uh, we'll talk about uh, you know 3D printing, making your own cards against humanity's cards, uh, 3D printing terrain tiles for Settlers of Catan, and interesting things like that. Some of these things have actually come up and not been litigated, but at least been Yeah, and there's about. been some interesting sort of recent cases I'd have to say you know being in the last couple of years in conjunction with this topic so it's a good one for us to get into it's also one of those that I think we get asked questions on a lot yeah definitely so thank you all again for tuning in and we look forward to next time the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC its officers directors employees agents representatives shareholders and subsidiaries none of the content should be considered legal advice as always consult a lawyer This podcast was produced and recorded at Cool Fire Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. 